just want to read a little bit more from that passage that Helen read to us. Paul finishes it by saying, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good? I'm not, despite what this persona might give, I'm not a very confident person. I was never the kid at school who would put his hand up, you know, when the teacher says, ask the question, you get all of these really confident, arrogant, snotty-nosed kids, don't you, sticking their hands up, and I know, I know, I know, like, we know you know, you know all the time, put your hand down, give the rest of us a chance. But I would never put my hand up as a kid. When I was training for ministry, I wouldn't put my hand up in, in preaching class, or New Testament theology, or ancient, no, you put your hand up in ancient Greek, because it is really confusing, but I wouldn't put my hand up then. As a teenager, I was, I was so shy and, and lacking in confidence. Talking to girls, oh my giddy aunt. I'd go red, I would, I would stutter. I always wanted to be like, and guys, you can relate to this, maybe you were the confident guy, but in school there's always those confident guys that they just had this persona about them. That they could just speak to members of the opposite sex and it was so natural and girls were, Hoo-hoo, they'd be all over them. How I ever got married is a mystery to me, I have to say. I don't like really being in new situations with new people. Yeah, why did I move churches? I don't know. You may remember when we moved here, I had COVID, which was my excuse not to help with all the packing and unpacking, but we couldn't come to church. But then on Christmas Day, I was COVID-free. My wife and my son had really nasty coughs, uh, so they didn't come. And me and my daughter, we came to Perry Street on Christmas Day morning. The first time that we had been since moving, a week or so before. And we got in the car, and Kezia turned to me, and she says, Daddy, I'm, I'm really nervous. I said, Kez, can I let you into a secret? I said, so am I. <laughs> There's her thinking, you know, my dad will be all right. And here's me, you know, I'm, I'm looking like a, you know, I feel like a duck often. You know, you look great, don't you, on the surface? And you're paddling like mad uh, underneath. And often I'm somebody who perhaps lacks confidence when I first go into a new situation as I get to know the people, as I, I, I spend time in that the confidence grows. I guess many of us are like that, aren't we? Maybe you can recall times and situations where you feel that you're lacking in confidence, but over time, your confidence has grown a little bit. Or maybe you still feel that you lack confidence in certain situations and certain areas in your life. And I think we can be people who can lack confidence when it comes to our walk with Jesus as well. I mean, that confidence for a whole number of of different reasons. We we think others are are much better at walking a Christian life than we are. 
we see our failures as a sign that we're rubbish, as opposed to a sign of that's why Jesus died for us. We lack confidence because, have you ever been in those situations and you're having a conversation with somebody and they just quote great swathes of scripture, word perfect. Think, how on earth do you know that scripture just at that moment? And you think to yourself, I just don't know enough of the Bible. I'm not as good as others. Maybe we've tried to share our faith with a a family member or a a neighbour and it's just not gone uh, particularly well. Or maybe you you see people thinking, I I sense God speaking this to me and, and then when that happens to you, you think, well, did he really? Did he really speak to me? Or was that just me thinking I wanted him, wishful thinking? Lots of reasons why we can sometimes have seasons or periods where we don't have as much confidence in our walk with Jesus as we would like. And actually, what does a confident Christian actually look like? I remember many years ago, I was in Zambia, walking, and with some friends going looking for a 15-foot python, as you do on a Sunday afternoon, that had been seen in their grounds. My daughter, Kezia, at the time, was eight years of age. She was so nervous, so lacking in confidence, so she never, ever, before or since, has walked so close to me as ever before. And I said, what's the matter, Kez? She said, I really don't like snakes. What I didn't tell her in that moment was I hate them. (laughs) But being with her dad gave her confidence that she would be okay. What does a confident Christian actually look like? You're probably aware that we're now in Lent and this is actually the second Sunday of Lent and for some of you who've given up chocolate or biscuits or red wine or whatever it is are thinking, yeah, don't tell me. I know it's the second Sunday of Lent. It feels like it's the 14th Sunday of Lent and there's not even 14 Sundays in Lent. But between now and Easter, we're going to look at how we can grow deep confidence in our Christian lives that lasts from Sunday all through the rest of the week. So we can boldly join in God's work right where we are, in our, maybe if you're in a workplace or a volunteer place, place, in an educational setting, in our families, in our social life. And some of this series has been adapted from uh, a series that the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, that is a mouthful, ladies. They need to change their name. They call themselves LICC, but if you don't know what LICC is, you have to go through the whole rigmarole of saying the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And so we've taken some of this series from what they've suggested for this year. Because you see, it can be easy to be confident as a follower of Jesus today. Here, now. Gathered with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We sing the worship songs, we hear from the Bible, we pray, we talk with people who believe the same things we do. It can all seem lovely and easy, can't it? Tomorrow, Gary and I are going to the Eastern Baptist Association Ministers' Conference. It'll be a great time. There'll be about a hundred or so ministers there. And, and, you know, we'll have three days of being with other people who do a similar thing 
to what you do, who understand the joys and the struggles of what it's like to be a Baptist minister. And we'll be built up and we'll worship God and it'll be fab and, and relatively easy and confident to be a Christian and to be a minister in that situation. But the truth is, friends, the Sunday gathering ends. The conference comes to a close and we go back into a world in which we can live without the safety and security of the Sunday gathering or the conference. So how do we live the Christian life with confidence? Over the next five weeks, we're going to think about confidence through being convinced, confidence through community, confidence through consistency, confidence through courage, confidence through celebration. Yes, there's a lot of C's in that, I know. But you see, God wants us to live with a confidence of who we are in him and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And these, if you like, five different vehicles are just some ways which will enable us to live with a better confidence in, in God, not just on a Sunday, but all through our lives. So on to the first one, confidence through being convinced. My in-laws have a flat, a holiday flat, just outside Poole, that as a family we use for holidays. Many years ago, we were there as a family of four, me, my wife, and our two children, and these flats are probably built in the 1960s, 1970s. It's in a residential area. It's on a a really busy main road, and there's a nice garden out the back. But it's not out in the country. You need to hold that thought in your brain. It's not in the country. That's important. So there we are. In the summer, sitting there one evening, kids are in bed. Jem looks out the patio doors. We're on about the third floor, looking straight at these gardens, and she shouts, There's a deer! A deer! I said, Sorry? <laughs> I said, There's a deer in the garden. So I get up and I have a look. I said, No, there's, there's not a deer there. She said, Well, it's gone. I'm telling you, there was a deer in the garden. I said, a fox, a large fox maybe, but not a stag, you know, not, not a deer in a busy road in the 1960s, 70s sort of flats. She said, I'm telling you, there was a deer. I said, in a very supportive husband way, don't be so stupid, we're living in a built-up area, we're not out in the country. You don't get deer on a main road in Parkstone in Poole. In the same block of flats were friends of my mother and father-in-law. And later on that week, we met them for, 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 for a meal. And we retold this story, to which they also looked at gentlemen, don't be so stupid, there is no way you get a deer in the block of flats. Where on earth did it come from? It didn't get off the bus. She's coming up from Bournemouth, and then, you know, a bit of grass, they'll plod around. To this day, and when you next see her, ask her, she is a hunt, don't tell her I told you, she is 100% convinced that she saw a deer in the back garden of a 1960s block of flats. Me? The only time I've seen an animal in that kind of place is on Rent-A-Ghost. Do you remember that with the horse? I'm not so convinced. And in life, friends, there are things that we are convinced about and things that we're not convinced about. 
And when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we can lack confidence because we're not convinced of the power of God. We could even go further and say that actually there are moments where we're not convinced of who God is full stop. Yes, we can read about him in the scriptures. We can sing songs of worship to him. But when we, we're on our own and in a situation that's beyond us, we struggle to be convinced that God is actually who he says he is. And so the tension we find ourselves living with is that we lack confidence because we reduce God to fit our lives. And we only see him through our lenses. And this, the problem this causes is that we're then not convinced that God is big enough to cope with whatever is happening in our lives. Now the passage that Helen read to us from Romans 8 is a great passage, isn't it? Some people, some scholars believe that Romans is the best book in the Bible. And, and chapter 8 is the best, ver- best chapter in the whole of the Bible. And these verses are the best verses in the whole of the Bible. I'm not so convinced on that. Because I think it's all good. You know, I don't want to pick and choose. A, this, you know, there's not a top ten of the, the best passages. I think it's all good stuff. But whatever, they're amazing words of truth. Paul, in Romans 8, has been talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we have been saved, literally rescued from the death that sin sin brings to us. In one sense, you could say it's Paul's interpretation of John 3.16, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And as Paul talks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, In one sense, that verse is what Paul's referring to. He's reminding us that that we have been saved and we have a new life. Before we move on, I I ask you, are you convinced of that to start with? Are you convinced that you have been saved by what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you? Regardless of how you lived that out, are you saved of that truth, first and foremost? Because, friends, that's the... That's the starting point. If you're, not, if, you, if, you, if you're not convinced of what Paul has been talking about in terms of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, how we have new life in Jesus, well then before you leave here today, grab somebody, grab me, and let's pray a prayer commitment together. That's where we start. Paul is talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which can be summed up in that verse from John. But then in Romans 8, Paul goes on and he talks about how we're not controlled by sin, but we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. He speaks about what it means to be children of God, how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, and how any suffering we have now will be worth it, compared to what it's going to be like when we enter into glory, into eternal life. And this chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, in one sense you could say it shows us two sides of life, a life without God's Spirit and the difference the Spirit of God makes if we have him in our lives. For in every aspect of life and in the struggles that you and I experience, we are never left on our own. The Holy Spirit is always with us. This, This power and provision is like nothing else on earth. And in our passage from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we see those amazing words where Paul says, for I am convinced. I imagine if Paul was here today, 
I feel like Paul was a pulpit slapper. Do you know what I mean? He was, he's a banger. For I am convinced. (laughs) What was he convinced of? It's all he's been saying from verse 31 onwards that Helen read to us. He says that God is for us. And this means that God, God's for us makes anyone's against us pale into insignificance. God has given his only son for us, so that means that he will give everything for us. If somebody gives their son for you, there's nothing else to give, is there? That is the limit. There's, There's no more. It's not like me when I, I cut a dessert for the family and I make sure I take the big one, the, you know, I have that one first. There's always more that we as human beings can give for each other and give to those who love us. But when God gave his son, that's it. That's a sign that God has given everything for you and me. Paul says he's convinced that no one can accuse us. No one can condemn us. It's as if Paul is saying, because of God, we become invincible from anything the world throws at us. Because of God, we're, we're a bit like superheroes. You know, we've got a cape on and a mask and we're fighting off everything that the world would, would chuck at us. And we come out the other side victorious. Paul asks the question, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? And then he answers the question. Paul does that. He asks the question and he answers it. If we face troubles, does it mean that God no longer loves us? Of course it doesn't. Even when life is hard and we feel like we're being battered by wave after wave of all that the world throws at us. Even with those things and even with us looking like we're beaten. Because let's be honest, when the world throws things at us, we look like we're beaten. It's a bit like a a heavyweight boxer who's done 15 rounds and he's got a a, a cut on his eye, this eye is bulging, his lip is, is oozing out, and he's got no teeth because they're on the floor, and the referee sticks his hands up, and he goes, yeah, I've won! This is what winning looks like! Let's, let's make no mistake about it, as followers of Jesus, we get hit. It doesn't, we, we don't look all our Sunday best, and you're looking lovely this morning, by the way. Life throws things at us. But winning doesn't mean we don't look hurt. It doesn't mean we don't look like we're struggling. It doesn't mean that we don't have cuts and bruises. Winning means we may have all of that, but we are still victorious because of Jesus. After all of that, Paul says, amazing three words, for I am convinced. He's convinced of the love of God. And to make the point, he mentions every conceivable way that he may be separated from God's love. He talks about death and life not being able to do it. Angels and demons not being able to do it. Nothing in in life in the present, nor in his future. None of the powers that are on the world. Then he says, neither height nor depth. In other words, he's looked all around. In all of the world. And nothing can separate him. And then to cover all bases, he says, just in case anything was missed, nothing in the whole of creation. And let's be honest, there's nothing else other than what's in the whole of creation. 
You know? It's like me opening my wallet to my kids, which as they get older, I seem to do more and more, you know? And just saying, look, there's 20 pounds in there, taking it out. There's nothing left. Look, look, Ruben, Kedget, look. Turn it inside out. There's nothing else left in there. You've completely bled me dry, you horrible little children. I love them, really. Because they will choose my nursing home one day, so I have to love them. Paul says he's looked at all of creation and there is absolutely nothing that can ever separate him from God's love. And because of that, Paul says, I am convinced. And his being convinced in who God is in God's power, in his love, is, is what gives Paul a confidence in life that is inspiring, but that is transforming of him. And here's the thing, friends. We, too, can live out our walk with Jesus with the same level of confidence that Paul has because we, too, can be convinced in the same way that Paul was convinced of who God is, of his power, of his majesty, of his love, of his ability to do all things. Are you with me, church? Yeah. Three of you were. That's great. That's good, Dave. <laughs> because you see, friends, our, our confidence is not in trying harder, which is what we often do. It's not based in willpower. It's not based in seeking to live a good life. It's not based in church. It's, it's not even based in our level of faith. But it lies in the unwavering love of God. You see, we lack confidence when we allow how convinced we are about God to be determined by us. To be, be determined by our level of faith, which is often affected by the struggles we go through in life. In other words, on a good day, we have lots of faith. It's strong, um, and so we say we're, we're convinced of who God is and that he's always with us and nothing will change that. Enter stage left, a little struggle. Maybe a financial problem, maybe a relational problem, maybe a health issue, a struggle in the church. We've been made redundant. Basically, our life has been hit with a genuine and real struggle. No one is saying that they're not real and they're not hurtful and they're not difficult to carry and walk with. No one's diminishing those struggles. But for many of us, in that moment, our struggle of faith has a wobble, a crisis. And so we say we're not as convinced about who God is as we were before this struggle came. We're not as convinced of God's ability to lead us through this before this struggle came. And that results in our confidence taking a bit of a nosedive. But when we're convinced of who God is, not because of our levels of faith on any given day and in any given circumstance, but in the truth that the Scriptures tell us about God. But in the truth of who God is, and we accept that that never changes, no matter what we feel, 
Even when life hits us and we struggle in our faith, we can still be confident because we are convinced that our struggles and even lack of faith does not determine or diminish of who God is. Does that make sense? It's a bit like Friday, Jim and I went out for a lunchtime meal without the kids. Oh, it's bliss, isn't it? To go out without the kids. And to be able to have something that, that doesn't necessarily have to serve fish fingers or chicken nuggets. It's wonderful. I really do love them. I just want to say that. <laughs> and it was a lovely afternoon. And you know what it's like. And in those moments, you really experience and sense the love that you have with somebody. And then the following day, something happens. And you kind of just look at each other. Not with the same level of love that you had the day before. Because something's happened. But does it mean that you don't love each other? Of course it doesn't. Does it mean that your marriage vows aren't, aren't still true? Of course it doesn't. So you cannot base whether or not you love each other and how you're feeling. You can't base it in what's going on in your day to day. You base it in the truth of what you said when you stood before God and friends and you said those words. And so when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we can have confidence in being convinced because it's not based on us, it's based on God and who he is. See, God shows us what he's like, who he was in Jesus. Jesus tells us, doesn't he, if you want to know God, look at me. I Look at me and you'll know God. So we can look through the Gospels and see Jesus and in doing so we see the Father and that will tell us that God is love and he will always fight for us. And so Paul's confidence came from all he knew about God perfectly revealed in and through Jesus. You see, Paul had that Damascus Road experience. Wow! Amazing experience. Completely being floored by the Holy Spirit and coming face to face with God. But he didn't live in that every day. That, you know, and Paul, you know, you have to read the scriptures. Paul would have got some opposition. <laughs> he got some battles. He was shipwrecked. He was, he was beaten. He was thrown in prison. All of this stuff. And it wasn't only when he came face to face with God and his conversion that he was able to say, I'm convinced. He was convinced constantly because he knew it wasn't based on how he was feeling. It was based on who God is and who God always will be. And so today, we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us and then convinces us of who we are in Christ. The word Paul uses in this passage from Romans for convince means to be persuaded, to trust entirely. He is so sure of the power and victory of God found in the Gospel that he is able to place his trust in it completely. And so if we are in Christ, you and I have his spirit living within us and nothing. And you know, there's, in, in scripture, it doesn't say nothing, open brackets, apart from all of these things, close brackets, it says nothing will separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Friends, it doesn't mean that life isn't hard. 
It doesn't mean that we will never struggle. It doesn't mean that when the struggles come, we simply sail through them without a care in the world. A storm is a storm, whoever you are. And a storm can batter, and a storm can do damage. But Paul says, even in those moments, we have confidence in our walk with Jesus because we are convinced of who God is. Because, at the minute, because we're living in Britain, most of us, when we see each other, say, oh, it's a bit cold, isn't it? <laughs> we might be in spring, because that's all we do, we talk about the weather. Come, come June and July, we'll be complaining it's a bit hot. But that's what we do. You see, God is God when the sun is shining, and God is God when it's absolutely chucking it down. He does not change. There's a, a story about um, a, a young lad going for a walk with his dad, and they set off. And they're going in the forest and they set off and it is a glorious day. And they're playing hide and seek, hiding behind trees. They've got sticks and they're they're playing as if they're they're doing fencing with each other. They're laughing and joking. They're having their packed lunch together. It's a brilliant father and son day. Everything is amazing. And all of a sudden they hear this little rumble of thunder. It wasn't forecasted, because the dad checked it before they left the house. But there was a rumble of thunder. And then there was an, and all of a sudden, it's, it's the odd drop of rain. And, and then one or two more drops. And then it absolutely chucked it down. The sky went black. It chucked it down. They were in the forest, and there's lightning as well. Rain like they've never seen it before. And at that moment, the sun starts to cry. Because the sun is scared. No longer are they playing fencing and having a picnic and just laughing and joking. They're in a real difficult situation. The dad picks up the son who's sobbing, opens his coat and engulfs him in his coat and just holds him to his heart. And whispers in his ear, it's okay son, dad's got you. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And over time, still chucking it down the rain, God is taking all of the, 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 the Father's taking all of the rain upon him, shielding his son. His son starts to relax and realises that whether it's sunny and we're having a picnic and we're playing or whether we're in a storm, my dad is still my dad. Because of that, Paul is convinced. He shows it again in his second letter to Timothy where he says, that is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him that day. Paul is in prison when he writes those words, nearing the end of his life, and yet he was convinced that God would take care of it all. He knew what God had called him to do, and he was confident that God would take care of things. Even though in this moment, it looked like all was lost. So how confident, friends, are you? of God's love for you. How does this affect how you live? Not when you're in amongst other followers of Jesus, but when you're in a worldly or difficult situation where a struggle has come in stage left. 
knowing who you are in Christ, being convinced of this can give you the confidence that even when life is difficult, you're still convinced of who God is. Because God picks you up and he holds you inside his coat. He says, I've got you. We're going to make it. It may not result or turn out as you think it's going to be, but I've got you and we're going to make it. And it might be that our struggles are momentary in this world and that they pass and then a week later we're having a picnic and we're fencing with God. Metaphorically speaking, that is. Because the sun's come back out. That Paul is saying in that, those words, you know, to, 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 in, uh, to Timothy, that he's convinced he's nearing the end of his life. He's in prison. He was martyred by, by the Roman soldiers. Still convinced because of what's going to come after that for him. Friends, God can use our situations in the world and our struggles to shape us, to build our confidence in Him. It can be through those moments when we feel weak, when we feel frustrated, when we feel the struggle the hardest that we see God's powerful Spirit working in us and our circumstances to confirm in us how much he loves us. So for you in your life today, whatever it is that you're facing, I appreciate that some of you may be facing some real struggles and fears. But in those moments, remind yourself of who God is, of his love for you, and, and that, as Paul said, there is nothing that can separate that. It's like God has a hold of you. Have you seen that? Do that to yourselves now. It's not a trick question, don't worry. Try and pull it apart. It's hard, isn't it? Take one hand away. That's you taking your hand away from God. God's still got you. God's still got you. No matter what we go through, He's always got us. He's always got us in this world and moving into the next. Because there is nothing, even us removing ourselves from God, nothing that can separate us from God's love. Allow the truth of that with whatever situation your life is in today to speak into your heart, to give you that deep sense of being convinced then your confidence in being a steadfast follower of Jesus grows. But to grow in our faith, to grow in our trust, to grow in our walk with Jesus, it's time to flip the narrative of reducing God and to remind ourselves that he is the Lord and therefore he is more than big enough, more than capable of anything because he is far greater than As we start this new series, it's timely that we have communion here today. Because as we gather around the communion, this bread and this cup, it's a reminder that we are con- what we're convinced about. We are convinced that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world for us. He, he sent him to die for us so that 
we could be reconciled to God, that all of our sin died with Jesus on that cross. It had to be put to death. That's why Jesus was nailed on a cross. We often think, why, why that way? Because sin had to be killed. And that's how it happened. All so that we could be reconciled to God, so that today and every day we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the more we believe it, the more confident we become. If we read Paul's words that are often said at communion from 1 Corinthians 11, we see a sense of how convinced Paul was. If I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Friends, here Paul is talking about a tradition, a truth that's been handed down. Not just from people, but from Jesus himself. Paul's convinced of this truth. That on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Paul is so convinced. He's gone from persecuting Christians and now he's a man who's convinced that Jesus gave his own body for you and me to be broken. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Between God and us. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Again, Paul is convinced that Jesus allowing his blood to be shed was a sign of the amazing new covenant between God and us. The old had passed. No longer were they going to have to bring animals to sacrifice to atone for their sins. This was it, once and for all. This new relationship, a new agreement with God. Paul is completely, unequivocally, 100% convinced of that. So then Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Paul would say, amen to that. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Paul didn't see it in his lifetime, but Paul was convinced that there would come a day where Jesus would come again. I don't know if that will happen in our lifetime. Be nice if it did, just saying, God. But as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes, whether that's in our generation or the generation after or the generation or in 10,000 years' time. We're proclaiming to each other, to the world outside of these doors of who Jesus is, of why Jesus died, of how much we are loved and how we live in the power of the Spirit. We proclaim it every time until he comes again. Paul was convinced of that. And that gave him confidence to live every day putting one foot in front of the other. Do we have that level of conviction that gives us confidence. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus into this world, knowing that 33 years later he would hang on a cross and take upon all of our sin. Not just the sin of what had happened leading up to that event, but all of the sin of all of the world that would ever, ever happen until you decide to send Jesus again. Wow. Father, we say thank you, but it doesn't even scratch the surface. And so in thanksgiving, we submit, we surrender, we give our lives to you today anew and afresh. just want to encourage you to just, in your heart, just say those words to, to the Father God. God, I, I give my life to you anew and afresh today. I give my life to you anew and afresh today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, that we're proclaiming the death of your son Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we're proclaiming that, the truth of that, we're convinced of that, and we keep doing it until you come again. Father, in the majesty and mystery of this meal, grow our confidence, we pray. That as we take the bread, as we drink from the cup, we see anew the sacrifice that your son made. As his body was torn and broken for us, as his blood was shed, but we see that Good Friday was not the end. We see that Easter Sunday was coming. And we are Easter people. We live post-resurrection. And we praise you for that, that Jesus is not dead. He's not in the grave. He's alive forevermore. And because of that, every day of our lives, we can walk tall, no matter what struggle enters from stage left, because you are alive and living in us. Give us that confidence, we pray. And as we eat this bread now and drink this cup, renew in us by the power of your Spirit. Renew in us our faith, our trust, our walk with you, we pray. Amen.